Hey kids, do you remember that one time we on the show we talked about hypostatic union and kenosis theory? You don't? Well, on today's episode, today's bonus episode, you get to listen to both parts of those episodes together. Do you remember listening to that? Well, just do me the favor and listen to the episode anyway. Welcome back to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight. And for today's final bonus episode of the month, you're getting Christology Part 1 and 2 together. I was going to say unabridged, but technically I had to edit the audio a little bit off of the front of one of them. But this, again, this is the finest final bonus episode of the month. Again, thank you for helping me to accomplish that goal that I had set for myself of how many total downloads I wanted to have six months ahead of time. And I hope you enjoy this revisiting of Two of the most popular episodes from this run, this is from the Systematic Theology series, uh, Systematic Theology 1, from actually about this time last year. It was late September, early October when these two episodes came out. The Kenosis Theory episode is actually very popular. So like I said at the beginning, if you're new to the show and you haven't gotten back around to those two, this is your best chance to hear the meat of both episodes. And if you've listened to them once, maybe listening to them twice is a good reminder. It's been a year after all. Enjoy. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is the show where I sit down to recap the things that I am studying in seminary. And this week we are going to be talking about hypostatic union. So we are in a two-week study on Christology. And all this week we have been primarily focusing on the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. And how can he both be fully human and fully divine? Is he fully human and is he fully divine? That's what we're going to talk about today, but first, I just want to draw attention to the fact that with this episode, we are officially halfway through Theology Seminar 1. When you're only taking one class and you're bookmarking each episode with a podcast episode, it the, the class moves so much quicker. <laughs> I can remember in college, just like these things would go on and on forever, but here we are halfway through the first class which means we're almost to the halfway point for the entire semester. So, hypostatic union. This is the teaching held by most conservative evangelicals that Jesus is fully God and fully man. This was decided at the Council of Chalcedon, I believe is how you say that. Chalcedon, maybe? One or the other. (laughs) It's the same council, I just don't know how to say the word. This was... Uh, this was an early, this was one of the things that they had to determine early on in the church, uh, along with the Trinity. These were two major areas that the church had to come to an agreement on because there were many heresies popping up quickly after the, after the, the disciples and Paul, and you're getting it more into second and third and fourth generation Christians. There were a lot of heresies that were starting to pop up, a lot of different opinions on Christ's divinity and Christ's humanity and how they formed together. 
even during the time of the disciples, we know that uh, John writes heavily in his epistles about, or against, rather, Gnosticism, this teaching that uh, the spirit is good and that the body is bad and that they were the Gnostics were hijacking Christianity uh, using Christ as an example that he was he crucified his flesh so that way he could embrace the purely physical aspect or excuse me purely spiritual aspect of his life which is the good and holy thing that we are to be astri- uh, ascribing to uh, but even further on, as we get into further generations of Christians, there were more and more teachings that tried to make, in an attempt to help explain this teaching, started either continuing to elevate the spiritualness of Jesus, or on the flip side, started elevating the humanity of Jesus. There are more and more people who were trying to make Jesus more human, or Equal parts God and human. Think Hercules. Hercules is a great example of this. They were kind of turning Jesus into a Hercules character of that he is some God, some human put together. He has limitations on both ends. Because that's where that's where a lot of the issues come from is this idea uh, that we'll talk about here more in a minute of the limitations that Jesus experienced while he was alive here on the earth, how do we explain that in the in wrestling with that he is fully God and fully man? And to this day, we are still wrestling with some of these things. There are plenty of Christians, Christians, evangelical born-again Christians, conservative Christians, who argue for a more spiritually-minded belief system. They are all about the spirit. They are all about uh, the spiritual life is the most important life and neglect the importance of our bodies and our physicalness. And on the flip side, I've heard people on TikTok uh, talk about how Jesus was human and Jesus sinned, and that's great. Like, seriously, I had this guy, oh man, he showed up on my For You page. What is? What was he talking about? I think it was either the cursing of the fig tree or cleaning out the temple of the money changers. I can't remember which one. It was one of those instances when Jesus' like, righteous anger side came out more, and he talked about how he just thinks that passage is so awesome because here you see Jesus sinning and that makes him so relatable to us. I'm like, you you almost have it. You almost got it. Um, But no, what we're going to see here is that understanding that Jesus is fully God and fully man It has to be this. You may be sitting there thinking, like, I've never heard of the hypostatic union. I don't know what this is. How can this be relevant for my faith? How does it matter so much that whether Jesus was fully God, partially God, fully man, partially man, like, why does this matter? And as we work through this today, what you're going to see is that our very salvation depends upon knowing that Jesus is fully God and also fully man. Like our self, this is a linchpin in our salvation. And I'll explain why here in a minute. So, first off, let's establish the fact that 
Jesus is God. Now, we talked about this a lot last week when we were talking about the Trinity. But just for sake of recap, really, let's run this back down one more time. According to Scripture, Jesus is God. He is equal to God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and there and was there in the beginning with the Father and the Spirit, and by him everything was made. John 1, 1 through 3. Once again, this week we had this great assignment of having to write about this topic as if we were talking to middle schoolers. Uh, we had to do this last week with the Trinity. We brought it back again this week. Uh, we also had to do a forum post discussion on this as well. So we were really digging into this. And there's, a, like I said, a little bit of overlap from the Trinity conversation. But we're starting off there that Scripture clearly teaches Jesus is equal to the Father and the Spirit, are separate from the Father and the Spirit, and was there in the beginning with the Father and the Spirit and created all things. During his life, Jesus did many things that were not normal for mere humans to be able to do. Low-hanging fruit, he easily walked on the water, Mark 6, 45-53. And even though Peter walks out, he does start sinking. So even in that, like Jesus was able to fully be able to do that. Jesus did so many other miracles, feeding in the 5,000, turning water into wine. If we accept those as miracles, I was actually listening to the playback of the C.S. Lewis Miracles episode this morning uh, to help me prepare a little bit for this because uh, miracles, the suspension of the natural laws for miracles to occur are very important in the ministry of Jesus in order to help confirm his deity over and over and over again. He taught with a level of authority that scribes and the Pharisees did not have at that time. This is in Matthew seven twenty eight through 29. This is the very end. These are the last verses in the Sermon on the Mount. And he has just finished preaching this gr the greatest sermon ever, Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. And it finishes off by saying that the people were astonished because he taught with an authority that the scribes did not have. Because the scribes, they just read the law off. They would just read it, and if they made comments on it, the comments were related to what other Pharisees had said. It's kind of like writing a paper. Like a lot of times my undergrad papers were, here's what the passage of scripture says, here's what somebody who's way more intelligent than I am has to say about it. And moving on. And that's what, that was how the scribes taught back then too. This is how we, or this is contrary to how Jesus taught. He taught with an authority. He was bringing new ideas to the table. He was challenging the uh, religious norms of the day. And there seems to be a level of this when he was a child as well. In Luke 2, 32, this is the story of when uh, Jesus is a little boy. And he stays behind at the temple and Mary and Joseph come back to try and find him like, hey, where have you been? And when they find him, they find that he is sitting with the teachers and the Pharisees of the temple and he's like intelligently engaging in discussion with them. So even as a child, Jesus had a deeper intellect, a deeper understanding of theology. And of course, the big one. He overcame death. 
Mark 16, Mark 16, 1 through 13. It is uh, clearly established in scripture that Jesus came back to life, which is not a normal thing for humans to be able to do on their own. So we have established that Jesus has a level of deity. We'll just start there, a level of deity. What about his humanity? There's actually a lot of instances in scripture about Jesus's humanity. Let me find, here we go. Jesus took on flesh and lived among humans, John 1, 14. He was born as a baby, Luke 2, 8 through 21. He grew up as a child, verse 32 of, uh, Luke, verse 32 of Luke chapter 2. He was tempted, Matthew 4, 1 through 17. He slept, Mark 4, 38. He got thirsty, John 19, 28. His body was beaten, Matthew 27, 27 through 31, and he died, Matthew 27, 45 through 30. So all of those are very human experiences. Getting tired, getting thirsty, getting beaten up, dying, growing up. Like all of these things are very basic things that all of us as humans, being born, that we have to experience. And it, I ne- it's so weird to think about Jesus being born. Jesus having to grow up. Like I think sometimes we just have this idea that Jesus just like came out of the womb. And just started walking and teaching. But like Jesus had to grow. And this is where things start to get a little tricky. Did Jesus have to grow because he was more human than he was divine. Is that what's going on here? Did he somehow limit his divinity and became more human over the divinity? 60-40 type of thing here. You could even look at the example of Jesus not knowing the time of his return in Mark 13-32 as an example, as a very clear example of a time where Jesus was more human than he was God. So what do we do with that? Philippians 2, 6 through 8 is very important because it talks about how Jesus humbly emptied himself to take on our form and be a servant to the cross. By choice, Jesus chose to limit elements of his divinity in order to become like us. So yes, there were moments of limitation, of hunger, of thirst, of not knowing when he was going to return. But that was a choice to limit that capacity and to embrace our humanity. But even in that, he is still fully God. How do we know that he was still fully God? It's the question. How do we know that? Maybe he really was. Was he just more human than he was God? I would argue that I would argue in support of the hypostatic union that Jesus is fully God and fully man because he was tempted but did not give in to temptation. So we brought up briefly earlier, the temptation of Jesus. This is actually Matthew chapter four, right before the Sermon on the Mount and right before he starts calling his disciples, he is 
in the wilderness fasting for 40 days, which is a supernatural fast in of itself. Um, and Satan comes and he tempts him and he tempts him and he tempts him. And each time Jesus is able through scripture to rebuttal Satan and not give in to temptation. If Jesus was more human than he was divine, I don't think he would have, I don't think he would have made it through the temptation. I, I, I know I couldn't have. Even if I was more human than I was divine, I think at some point I would have still tripped up along the way. Hebrews 4.15 talks about how Jesus was tempted in every way. Like Jesus faced the normal temptations that we face. I mean, they look different now because it's 2021, but he faced those normal temptations to sin like we do. But he didn't fall in because his divinity, his deity kept him from sinning. So Jesus is fully God in that he was perfect and righteous and he was fully man, which makes him more relatable to us. And at this point, maybe you can start to see how this is so important to our salvation. Because even though we don't know every single act that Jesus has ever done in the history of his life here on earth, because the sacrifice for his sins, or excuse me, the sacrifice for our sins was accepted, we can know that he never sinned. The sacrifice was accepted. James 2.10 talks about how it takes one offense to be guilty of the entire law, one trip up. But instead, what we see is that Jesus declares it is finished. The veil in the temple, which separated God from man, was torn top to bottom. And, obviously, he came back to life. (laughs) All of these show that the payment for our sins was accepted in full. By the Father. The full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. His blood was accepted for our sins. His righteousness was enough. And through his righteousness, through by grace, through faith, we can receive salvation, which is all in Romans 3 21 through 26. It is by his righteousness. So in order for us to have secure faith that Jesus that the sacrifice by Jesus for our sins was paid in full we have to believe that he is fully God and fully man because if he was not fully God then there is always going to be that doubt that he did sin and that this is all made up But knowing that he is fully God, we can rest assured that his deity covers our, his deity and his righteousness cover our sins. And he embraced our humanity. He embraced our flesh. So that way he could be tempted without giving in and be that much more relatable to us. This makes God, who we've just tried for the past 15 minutes to understand better in a very complex way. And in the last episode, we talked about in a very complex way with the Trinity. This makes God, Jesus makes 
God so much more relatable in that he experienced human life as we do. And that, friends, is the hypostatic union. And that is why you should care that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now comes along kenosis theory. This is like a pit stop on, in my opinion, a pit stop on the conversation about Jesus's divinity and humanity. This is like a little footnote. Kenosis theory came out, I believe it was in the 1830s, 40s, somewhere right around there, from German and English theologians. And this whole this whole conversation comes down to one word in one verse in Philippians. And I posted it this week on Facebook as a tease, Philippians 2, verse 7. But, this is Jesus, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Kenosis is the Greek word that is often translated as emptied. Or in other translations, I think like the NIV uses the phrase, made himself nothing. It, this Greek word gives the idea of something being emptied, like you're pouring out a cup of water, that type of an idea. And these German and English theologians came up with this idea that what this verse, specifically this word kenosis, the kenosis theory, is that Jesus emptied himself of his divine attributes in order to take on human attributes, which sounds fine. When you just leave it there, it sounds fine. Because again, we talked about last week, uh, if you really, if you haven't listened to part one about hypostatic union, you should, because I go into much more detail and nuance in that. So go back and listen to that episode. Truly, I say that a lot, but really, it this conversation might, you'll get more out of it if you go back and listen to last week's episode. So, but in the episode on hypostatic union, we did talk about this idea or this verse in Mark where it talks about how Jesus does not know, or maybe it's Matthew, where Jesus does not know the time of his return when he was alive here on earth. And so there was a limited capacity there in this one area. So this idea that Jesus limited his divinity and at times maybe his humanity took on more human attributes is, you know, this is biblical. The issue with kenosis theory, and this is where the debate starts, is to what degree did Jesus empty himself? Because again, this goes back to what we talked about last week with hypostatic union. Is Jesus fully divine, or did he empty himself of his divinity in order to take on human likeness? And that's where this whole conversation begins and why I had to write a paper and do forum posts about it. So, this, uh, the forum post, sometimes these forum posts are just worded in a way that I'm like, I don't, I don't get this. I don't understand. And then I'll go and, like, I'll read other people's answers, not to, like, steal their answers, but just to kind of get the idea of, like, okay, where did these people go? So that way I at least maybe know, like, what book, what section that they were in so I can read back over it and formulate a better opinion myself. 
And, like, everyone's answers were all over the place, too. So, and again, a lot of it, a lot of people, their answers were going back to things that we've talked about in the prior weeks, talking about modalism, which was all the way back with the Trinity, or talking about adoptionism, this idea that Jesus or God the Father adopted the human Jesus as like the first son of God type of thing. And I'm like, this the actual sections in our books on kenosis theory are so short. I'm like, where are people coming up with like answers for this? And so my answer was like a paragraph (laughs) rather than a normal like two page paper or something where I come back to the this fact, which Wayne Grudem expresses, uh, Miller J. Erickson expresses in his book as well, that ultimately this verse has nothing to do with the degree of Jesus emptying himself. Maybe not necessarily this verse, but this whole section. If you're not familiar with Philippians 2 verses more like 5 to about 8 or 9, this really has nothing to do with the degree that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. This is not the central focus of this passage. The central focus of this passage, verse 5, starts with, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to talk about the humility of Jesus Christ in leaving behind heaven, emptying himself, and taking on human flesh, and the death by the cross, which was a very humiliating form of death in of itself. The focus is on an example of humility for us. This is an example of Jesus, of the ultimate form of humility that he took on for us. And that's that's the point. And you know, the weird part about the homework assignment, going back to the forum post, is that It's required that you have to reply to two people, but there was an added step this week that we had to reply to two people who had different views than us, but, like, all of us came to that same conclusion of, like, this doesn't, this doesn't have anything to do in context, and in preaching, they always teach you that context determines meaning, that in context with the rest of these verses, This has nothing to do, Paul is not trying to argue about the degree of Jesus' divinity when he was on earth. Paul is focusing on the humility of Jesus, which is so much more applicable to us. In the end, and maybe this is where I'm a really bad theologian, in the end, we aren't going to know. We're not going to know. We don't know 100% to what degree Jesus' divinity and humanity was. I rest on the idea that Jesus was fully God and fully man, but there is still an element of faith to that. We're not going to know intellectually the degrees. We We just don't. And there's this whole conversation on some of the people's forum posts about, like, you know, the what was Jesus's nature like? Was it like a, you know, uh, a third, like mixing of the two degrees of like, or the two natures of human and divine, and they kind of formed into one third unique 
nature. And, you know, for me, it's like, sure, sure, why not? Maybe that's what happened. But at some point, this conversation, and maybe it's because we've been doing, focusing on this for like three weeks basically now, at some point, this conversation starts to get into that realm of, did Adam have a belly button? How many angels can dance on the head of a needle? Like, we're starting to get to that point of, like, why Why does this matter? I mean, I know why it matters. And we talked about that again at length last week. I don't understand why we have to come back to this again this week to have a conversation that ultimately ends with me saying, and everyone else saying, this is this has more to do with this would have more to do with Christ's example of humility for us, which is so much more applicable than us scratching our heads and saying, to what degree was Jesus fully God and fully human? Specifically related to this passage in Philippians 2, it is so much more applicable to focus on Jesus's humility. At least that's me. That's where, that's at least how I feel about this subject. That when it comes to this passage, Philippians 2 is talking about humility, not trying to raise questions of how divine was Jesus when he lived on the earth. And one of the people, one of my classmates in their forum posts, I gotta remember, how did he, how did he specifically put it? Is he put it to some degree that just because Jesus went without his divine attributes at points doesn't mean he was without them. Just because he limited himself in not knowing at that time when he was going to return to the earth does not mean that he stopped being all-knowing. He just limited it for that. It doesn't mean that he was completely without it. And I really like that. It's like, just because we see these moments of limitation in scripture doesn't mean that Jesus went without it completely when he was on the earth. So kenosis theory. Kenosis theory is this idea that to some degree, Jesus emptied himself. Speaking specifically of Philippians 2, verse 7, and this word kenosis in the verse. Personally, because the paper we have to write is a thousand words or less on on the topic, trying to teach it to high schoolers. We're supposed to try and use applicable language and illustrations that would make sense. So how do we then illustrate this idea of not so much Jesus emptying himself of some degree of his divinity, but Jesus taking on humility while still maintaining his full divinity. Does that make sense? How do we illustrate the fact that Jesus humbled himself a lot, but still was fully divine? And I scratched my head and I thought about it for a little bit and I came up with an illustration that I think works. And it's actually a very personal illustration because... I have been doing martial arts for almost 20 years now, and I have black belts in three different martial arts. And do you know how you get a black belt in three different martial arts? You start over twice. I got my black belt. My first black belt was in Taekwondo when I was a kid. Um, 
but when I was in high school, I started training in another martial art called Jeet Kune Do. And I did not walk into class the very first day and say, Hello, I am a black belt in another martial art. Give me your black belt. Like, no, I went in, you know, I obviously had some type of skill level that was obvious because not everything is brand new when you, between those two martial arts at least. And so I started at a white belt again and yeah, it was obvious that I kind of knew what I was doing, but methodologies change, philosophies are different, so there was still a learning aspect to it. But I still was a black belt in another martial art, and so how I limited myself. There were times where I thought to myself, okay, I would do it this way if I was in Taekwondo, but I am learning Jeet Kune Do right now, and so I need to do it the Jeet Kune Do way. Later, I can mess around with things. And I did it again after college when I started in Hapkido. And I went in there and I did not say, Hello! I have two black belts. Give me yours. Like, I went in there and I started again at a white belt rank. Learned the new methodologies. Learned the different philosophies. And yeah, I brought in my Taekwondo background. I brought in my... Uh, Jeet Kune Do background, but when I was learning Hapkido, I needed to learn the Hapkido way of doing things. The nice thing is, is that I had great teachers who, because of my skill level, they did promote me a little quicker because I was just naturally taking the material well, but um, I still went through all the belts. I went through, I, I trained, I worked hard. I had to learn the way that they were teaching me. And so I use that as an illustration of just because Christ humbled himself doesn't mean that he stopped being God in the process of living his life here on the earth. He was still fully God. Now, it does break down a little bit because to some degree, black belt is a title, but Jesus was still God. It's not that he went around declaring himself God like a title. He was still God. And I guess I was still a black belt. It, it, the, the illustration is not perfect is what I'm getting to here. That's something I definitely want to highlight as we do these types of talks is that a lot of times our illustrations do fall apart at some point because if we could point to something in the created realm that perfectly illustrates God, I think I think then that we are going to, you know, if that's the case, then we're going to find something that proves that God is not as great as we really think he is. Sorry about that. I think there was a tech glitch. I'll have to listen to the playback later and see if we like screwed this all up. But I think we're alright. Okay, anyway. So, back on topic here. I use the illustration of my uh, training in martial arts to show that you can humble yourself, but still be something greater. You can still humble yourself to a lower state and still really be something greater, just like how Christ humbled himself, still being God, but taking on our flesh. Me humbling myself to become a white belt again.
and well, I'll probably do it again whenever the pandemic cooperates because I really want to go train in martial arts right now. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what I got for this week. So if you take anything away from this is that if you come across kenosis theory, don't sweat it. <laughs> don't don't sweat it. Like focus on the greater context of Philippians chapter 2 and I think you'll walk away um more refreshed and more encouraged and with something that is more commonly spoken about in scripture of our need for human of our need for humility in life. Thank you again for listening to today's bonus episode and taking a trip down memory lane with me. Memories. Again, this is a bonus episode, so you have no obligation to have to rate and review or have to give this episode to a friend un- unless you really want to. I guess if you really want to, you can do those things. And if you want to really go to the description to find links to all the important stuff, you, you could always do that too. Check out the website sometime. It's nifty. This is it for the bonus episodes. This coming Saturday is a, it's a special Halloween spooky-ish episode continuing the conversation on Leadership 101 by looking into cult leaders. What makes a good, great cult leader? We'll find out. Uh, I'm looking to have a guest on the show, so uh, hopefully it works out. We're having a little bit of a scheduling conflict, but hopefully by the time this episode comes out, it's been resolved. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We'll be back again on Saturday, and hopefully you saw on social media this past week the announcement of the new series coming in November, Intercultural Ministries. The class has gotten underway already, actually, and it's been enjoyable one weekend. But I'll hold all remaining thoughts until that point. Thanks again for listening, and remember, theology is for everyone, so keep on studying.